Yes, people, it's Ted Lawler, aka Mr. IOTK from If Only They Knew, the hub for young business minds. In this episode, we speak to Paul Abercrombie, the serial entrepreneur that went bankrupt and then bounced back to own an eight-figure business. Then he realized that money meant almost nothing to him and is now on a journey to give value to everyone. So if you want to avoid major mistakes in your journey and learn from somebody with so many years experience, this is the podcast for you. Right, Paul, thanks for coming on, mate. I know you're one of the, the bigger names on Clubhouse now, I've seen you in and out of Clubhouse a lot. Like we just said, then you, you're still on Clubhouse now as we talk. So yeah, you're always in and out of the groups. Um, if you don't mind, for those that haven't seen you on Clubhouse or haven't seen you before, can you give us a quick intro to yourself, please? Yeah, so I'm Paul Abercrombie. Um, I've been in business for 15 years now. Prior to that, I was in the London Fire Brigade. I quit my job in the Fire Brigade to follow the dreams of starting my own business. Um, had some success, had some failures along the way. And uh, now I try to focus as much of my time as I can in helping people avoid those failures. And it's a passion of mine and something I you know, work in every single day to try and bring education, good business education to as many people as I can. No, that's brilliant. I think that's definitely a, that's a powerful mission. We'll get uh, we'll get into that a bit further on. Um, but I always say to understand where someone is now, it's always good to rewind the clocks and understand what they was like when they was a little bit younger. So what was a younger Paul like? What was you like at school? Did you have any hobbies or interests that sort of led you to this path now? Or yeah, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, so I was quite younger me, Jesus. Uh, I grew <laughs> up on a council estate in East London. Um, oh, in yeah. East London. Yeah. Never known my father. Wow. Uh, had a relatively okay relationship with my mum. Was raised for my for the first five years of my life by my grandparents, basically um, within within reason. Uh, my mum was around, and, and but me and my mum lived with my grandparents until I was about five when we when we moved out. Uh, I am, as far as school goes, I guess you would say very introverted. I dyslexic, severely dyslexic, so pro probably couldn't spell my surname until I was about 16. Wow. Uh, if it wasn't for Microsoft Word and Excel now, I probably wouldn't be where I am. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I wouldn't say bullied, but I was classed as stupid probably at school. So yeah. I was, you know, very much, I, I remember at one point I was made to wear, because they probably didn't quite understand dyslexia, in the way that they do now I was made to wear one red glass and one green glass in a set of glasses because they thought I had a reading issue wow. um, so anytime I was in classes for about a year I was made to wear these different colored glasses because they couldn't quite understand what was going on um, but as anyone would know with dyslexia basically you read stuff backwards and you jumble up words and it's you know it's it's you mess around with with letters in words but they just didn't understand it so I was classed as stupid was put into special needs sections within the school um, and yeah I didn't really I do have an education, but I didn't come out of school with a with a formal education. If you know, you know, I had some GCSEs, but I wouldn't say yeah. I certainly wouldn't write them down on the CV in terms of having an excellent formal education in any way. Yeah, no, that's it. But that, that you must have felt so. I guess the word is outcast, like literally, because if now kids with dyslexia, I guess obviously they don't go through all the glasses thing and stuff like that. That they they feel like an outcast anyway, based on on their their achievements, not being able to sort of be at the same speed as some of the other kids at some of the time but being made to wear those glasses and really being put to the side that must have affected you quite a lot especially as a kid I guess 
Yeah, although I guess I've not turned out too bad. So I don't, you yeah. know, I don't know if it did affect me. I, what really changed for me when I was about 13, mm. I was, I guess, forced probably by my mum, but we was, I was forced to go to uh, a cadet group. So like a military, a junior military organisation. Yeah. Um, and I, I joined that at 13 and it was outside of where I live. So it was about 10 miles away from my house. But as you know, with London, you can go to the next sort of you know the next area the, ne the next like postcode and it's a completely different area to where you grew up um yeah. you know when we was walking to school we'd stay in Walthamstow in our you know within a mile of our house that was all I knew and then all of a sudden I got taken out of that and got sent to this organization which was about 10 miles away and it was a completely different type of person there you know all of a sudden the people that I was the kids that I was mixing with were kids of you know professionals that were out you know surgeons and doctors mm. and lawyers and solicitors and, and you know a, a completely different class of of people that I had been started mixing with at 13 and I think if I look back and reflect on that period of time that certainly even at that young age got me into a mindset of believing that there was more possible than mm. where I came from you know if I'd stayed in my estate where I was, when we saw a nice car drive through, people would look at the car and automatically assume the guy was a drug dealer. Yeah. You know, nobody would ask the question, I wanna know how he got that car. They would just assume that he was a drug dealer because he had a nice car. So whereas that other group of people that I was mixing with two times a week and probably most weekends from 13 until 16 over that three year period, that group of people would ask questions mm. and would be more curious with what was going on. And I guess they had a completely different upbringing and education, I guess, to some extent. So that really got me into a looking back, a completely different mindset of, of always asking the question, what's possible and, and how do I get there? And I, yeah, I just became curious, you know, and then I started to work and get jobs from the age of, sort of 14, 15. A friend and I started promoting nightclubs as most people seem to do you know we, we started promoting parties and putting on parties for our friends and I guess that's where business started really we, we you know we never really had a successful party but we did put loads of them on borrow our you know my friend's parents money to put the parties on and lose a ton of money but that was where you know journey into business started. I'm so glad you mentioned that I've got two points here if you don't mind um, the point about just literally expanding your your world and like you said just going over to the next postcode was a completely different world and then you met new people at the cadets and stuff and that's something I found quite recently a year or two ago um, again I'm from Bermondsey so South London uh, just just opposite the river and it was yeah again you're in your little bubble then as soon as you step over my, my um, uni was in East London so as soon as I stepped over there into the city it's like wow like this is a whole new life sort of thing. And it does, it just expands sort of your mind and therefore your, the opportunities that sort of present themselves to you. They just seem to be get bigger and bigger the more you sort of reach out and explore. But uh, one of the questions I had on, on that point where you said you started sort of, um, you know, doing the nightclub stuff and that, what was the drive at the time? Because you said you was what, 14, 15, did you say? Um, yeah, I... Because we didn't have a lot growing up, I wouldn't say we were from poverty. I guess if you, I guess if you said now and looked back, we was probably from poverty, but I never felt like I was growing up in poverty. I had what I needed to have. I was given what we wanted. We always had food provided by my mum. We always had what we wanted, but we didn't have, you know, we didn't have excess and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a very um, jubilant lifestyle, I guess you want to call it that. So I'd always 
wanted to work at that organization I was part of used to do lots of trips away. And most of those trips you had to pay for yourself. Yeah. So uh, I think probably 14, I started stacking um, shelves in the local news agents, you know, sorting out their magazine shelves and moving magazines to the front and, you know, taking, arranging the food in date orders. It was like one of these corner shops where it's a bit of a news agent post office altogether, you know, one yeah. of those types of shops. Yeah. So I started working in there when I was 14 and that, you know, that carried on for about a year. So I've always, whatever I've had from a very early age, I've had that I needed to work for myself to get that. Nobody's ever given it to me. So I guess that was always in me. And, and as we just got older, the opportunities came out. You know, we had a quite a large group of friends. So we thought that we could be DJs and put parties on for people and, uh, and you know, make a little go of doing that. So we've done that for a few years. Um, I guess it was just the need and the desire to want more and, and to, you know, just to have having to do it to get what we wanted, basically. That, that's so powerful, though, to have that independence, isn't it? I, I noticed that um, I sort of, like I said, growing up in South London I was in that bubble and then pretty much I'm on a sort, I wouldn't say similar path to you, but at that stage, I was at a, in a similar sort of mindset as well to what I was a few years ago. Just, just I knew that if I wanted to get something, I had to go and get it myself. No one was going to come and say, oh, yeah, that car you wanted, oh, yeah, mate, you can have it sort of thing. Like, it's literally about working for those opportunities. So on that point, what would you say now to the kids around my age, like the, the early 20s, late teens, what would you say to them? Because surely, if I'm right, there's so many more opportunities for them now, given that they've got the world in their fingertips in the form of an iPhone or an Android. Yeah, but I also think that's slightly dangerous now because there's so many options there's so many things that you could choose to do and and you know back then i didn't have social media so we judged ourselves against nobody you judge yourself against you now you know i believe that people now especially younger people and i've seen this quite a lot they expect to drop the seed today and have the tree tomorrow and and it's because they see that on instagram on social media and they believe that it's instant results but you know my journey in business I lost money and was a complete disaster for 10 years. Mm. You know, I, it took me 10 years to work out what I was doing. And it was, you know, it, we had success, failure, success, failure, but that was a 10 year journey. It didn't happen overnight. So my one piece of advice to anybody is yes, there's a wealth of information out there, but I would pick one course and follow that until you've mastered it and you started to achieve results and judge yourself against you. Don't judge yourself against anybody else. Set a goal go for it and judge yourself against yourself only and not somebody else. You know, don't believe everything you see on Instagram, on social media, because, you know, you can be chasing those shiny pennies for years and you, you'd never catch them. Mm, no, thank you for that. That's a great piece of advice. So what, where did you, how did you get to where you are now then? So you was doing the nightclub stuff at a very young age and it seemed to be going quite well from what you said. You seemed sort of quite excited about it looking back now. So how did you go from there to where you are now? Um, so because I'd come from a military organization from that cadet organization and it, my, my granddad was from the military as well. So I was always disciplined, I guess it was within the family a little bit. Um, I joined the London fire brigade at, so I was 18 when I joined the youngest possible age, you could join the fire brigade was 18. So I joined the fire brigade at 18. Um, in the, a lot of firemen had part-time jobs. Yeah. Well, almost every single fireman has a has a secondary employment of some sort, they officially call it. So I did at the time when I first joined the fire brigade, it was DJing. So I was, um, you know, I'd 
made a bit of a name for myself in 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 um, the UK, firstly UK garage and then the UK funky house scene, and was doing relatively well. You know, DJing basically paid for my wedding, went you know went a long way to paying for our first house wow. um, that me and my wife bought, and that was off the back of of um, DJing, and, and it reached a point where I was doing five days, five nights a week, really, with DJing, as well as then doing two nights a week on duty in the fire brigade. So you do two, two day shifts, two night shifts, and you have time off, basically. Yeah. Um, and then what happened was we got married and uh, we, we went on honeymoon and we sat down and my wife basically said to me, and she never said to me, but the conversation went along the lines that the lifestyle that we was living from the DJing and from, you know, because I was playing, we was playing all over the UK. We was doing quite well with, with the DJing and playing, you know, getting lots of gigs. And we was doing stuff abroad as well. She said, it's not, we wanted children. And she said, it's not the lifestyle that we can, you know, that, that, we, can, that we can sustain. And I get that, you know, we, there's only so long you can be the 18 the, the year old for, isn't there? You know, as you grow into adulthood. You must um, be so gutted though. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so we, we literally sat on a beach and we was lucky enough that my wife had a very good job. She worked in for a, a UK investment bank or a bank in the UK and she, as, a, as an analyst. So she was relatively well paid. So we said, look, what should I do? What can I do? And I remember sitting there just toying through lots of different business ideas on the beach in the Maldives while we was on our honeymoon. And it was, it was all sorts of stuff, you know, an IT shop, a coffee shop. There was all sorts of stuff coming up. Back then, it wasn't like now where you know, there's an abundance of information. You've literally just got, a, you had to think about what you was going to do. And most of it was like a bricks and mortar business. You was going to open a shop or open something called a high street or do something in, in you know, there was no digital marketing really. It was just less open a business. Yeah. So I, uh, we just sat and spoke about what we would do. Never really came to a decision. I went back to, got back from the honeymoon, went to the fire station, started talking to all the guys at work. And what I realized was they were all tradesmen. So they were all plumbers, electricians, carpenters in some form, you know, builders. They had, they was tradesmen, but yet they wasn't really that organized. So I positioned myself as the organizer of the group and went out and found them work, but took that work on as my own and gave them the work. So without really trying, a maintenance company popped up and we were doing lots of maintenance and firemen were really conscientious. So, you know, they, they because of their job, we was always conscientious. We always done a good job. We always got repetitive work. And very quickly we grew to doing, maintaining about 5,000 properties across London uh, with property maintenance. But almost hundred percent of the staff at the time were firefighters who were working for me as their secondary employment, whilst uh, still being in the fire brigade. And we had vans and, you know, we had an office and stores and all sorts of stuff. Um, but even then it didn't really feel like business. There was no, you know, it was, it was always just to get more, you know, get, get to that next level or, you know, try and replace an income. For me, it was about replacing the income that I would have lost from my DJing because, it, you know, the gigs that I got gave quite a good secondary income. So I just needed to replace that with something. Yeah. And then it reached, reached a point where it got so big, I came into work one day and, and the person who was in charge of me at the time, the officer in charge of me, he called me in. He said, yeah, Abercrombie, come in, take a seat. He said, um, this, this part-time job that you've got is no longer part-time, is it? He said, it's far too big and we can't let it continue in the way it is because we had, you know, if you looked outside the car park at the fire station, every van that we had 
was a was one of my vans it was the, you know and people were using it as their car to get to work finishing their shift and then off they was going to to do a maintenance job that was one of mine and he, he said look this has got to stop so I said okay how does it stop what can you do and it, out of that conversation came the fact that I would take a year sabbatical from the fire service whilst I you know worked out what I wanted to do so it was a year's unpaid leave that I took from the fire service and after about four months it had grown so much that I didn't go back you know the, the I put all of my effort all of my time into running the business and and we grew very quickly and I didn't just basically didn't go back to the fire service sent a letter of resignation in told them I wasn't coming back that's insane and a lot of people I had that last year um in terms of I guess like you said being forced to make that leap of faith um I had that last year where obviously because of the coronavirus I lost lost my nine to five job um, and that's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me, much probably like yourself there, because it made it made me make that decision to crack on with my side hustle, which I'd luckily been working on for years before that in the background at every nine to five on my lunch break. I'll be like, All right, boom, and then just typing away, doing doing work for myself and then going back into the nine to five like mode after. So how important is it, do you think, for people out there that want to be an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, have their own projects, no matter what it is. How important is it for them to have that brewing in the background um, until they're at a stage where they're comfortable with it to then make that leap, leap of faith? Or, yeah, how do, you, how do you think, how and when do you think they should make that leap of faith? Yeah, great question. Well, I, I, I had two things go on in the background while I was helping me make that decision. First one was that I had first-hand experience of watching a group of men that worked in the you know on my watch in the fire station yeah that all had part-time jobs that all earned probably a better income with their part-time job than they did for the fire service but the two incomes combined were very big you know provided them with a nice life but they were bitter because they never made that decision to quit the job and focus probably on the other one that was well better paid yeah. And so they, they stayed in the fire service and, and, you know, how the fire service used to work, it's changed slightly now, but you had a very good pension that kicked in after a number of years. So when you went beyond a certain amount of years of service, it was almost damaging financially for your pension to leave. That's how they hooked you in and took you from doing 10 years to doing 30 years was because your pension escalated over time. So you stayed there. And I'd saw these guys get, you know, bitter by the fact that, they were still there. And I, I'd look at them and think, I don't want that. I don't want to be that person that's sitting there in 20 years time wondering what if. So it was always in the back of my head that I needed to quit. And then that guy calling me in and saying, this has got to stop. It forced our hand. Yeah. But here's the problem. I wasn't ready mentally, I think from a mindset point of view, from a education point of view, I didn't know what I was doing. And from a financial point of view, I certainly wasn't ready. So I would say to anyone now, if you've got a side hustle or job that you're doing and you want to make that your, you know, your purpose going forward, I would say have at least six months of your own living expenses, three to six months, but more probably like six months and, and have those living expenses generated from the profits of your side hustle. So you know that you can be supported in whatever you're doing 
moving forward. And then once you've got that six months, set a date in the future, stick to that date, hold yourself accountable, and then leave your job. Because if you don't put a date on it or somebody doesn't step in and go, right, you've got to quit now, then you'll never do it. You see most people start businesses when they're made redundant. They lose a job, they get made redundant, and therefore they, they think I'll work for myself or I'll, I'll start a business. It's because their hand's been forced. So you need to force yourself to do it by setting a date in the future. But I never had that. I never had those living expenses covered. And, and we struggled financially, you know, because I'd lost my income from DJing. I'd grown the business really quickly. Yeah. We scowled really, really quickly, but I didn't even know what scale meant back then. You know, I had to Google VAT. I didn't know any of the stuff that, what I would consider the basics of being in business. That was never taught to me at school. I never had any form of financial literacy. I never got, you know, didn't know anything. Didn't know how to do a tax return. Didn't know any of the administration stuff that you're supposed to have. And all of a sudden I was classing myself as a CEO, as a director of a company and, and employing people without the knowledge of how to do that. And it backfired to me. That business failed about two years after I left the fire service. Um, that resulted in a personal bankruptcy wow. and, you know, a really difficult situation for a year to 18 months. And that was all because, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but I just didn't have mentors, people around me, education to be able to take it to that next level. I had the drive and the determination, but we were going out doing jobs. We were being paid 75 quid to do, you know, an hour's maintenance work. And it was costing me 85 quid to be there. But I just didn't know how to pick that up and how to, you know, understand the numbers of the business because it was, it was just something I had no idea what to do and how to do it. That's such a scary thought, isn't it? Like, it's, I know it, you know it as well, like you just said. And so many young people dive into these, starting up these businesses with like no idea of, anything like all the things you just mentioned i i still don't know it and so many other people were doing it and, and that is such a scary thought um and i wondered if you've got any sort of a, a bit more advice on that like where, where do people where should people look is there is do you think people can get advice from sort of having an, a, a network of people around them a mentor how how would you sort of try to suppress that that lack of lack of knowledge well, very good question. I would say, yes, the education system, I do believe is broken. You know, I, I, my daughter's just started, my eldest daughter's just started secondary school. I've got four kids and, and the eldest one is started secondary school this year. And we were going around doing the tours of the schools that you do when your kids, you know, you're putting your kids into secondary school or, or, or any school really. And I remember that going to one of the secondary schools and going into the business studies area that was two classrooms and there was a teacher there and, and there was books and and there was a book on the table and it was BTEC business studies I remember it or GCSE business studies something like that so I picked it up and I started looking at it and I'm flicking through it and I'm thinking Jesus Christ if this is what they are teaching kids then we've got no hope you know we've literally got no hope their version of business studies was to condition people to be managers in larger businesses or larger corporations there was there was nothing about the hustle the grind the actual basic stuff to go from there to there and and, and the stuff that you need to know that you're doing ted the stuff that you need to do to get to that next level there was there was nothing taught about that at all plus what was being taught was being taught by a teacher now teachers are great and they give great service but they've not been there and done it all they're doing is reading what's put on the slide or put in the book and having it presented to the, the, the kids, there's no real world education. So I would say you have great access to information via the internet. Um, if you are really entrepreneurial, if you know that 
you you want to follow a life of not working for somebody and working for yourself. Um, and I do believe that probably people get to a certain age. And I know that that, that came to me when I was probably 17, 18, when I thought, do you know what? At some point, I don't want to have a boss. I want to be my own boss. And I didn't know what that was going to be and how I was going to do it. But I knew that that's what I wanted. If you are out there thinking that now, I would find a mentor. And a mentor doesn't have to be a paid mentor. There's this conception that mentoring, you have to pay somebody 25 grand to be a mentor. That does exist. That world does exist. And I've paid people to mentor me in certain areas of life and business. But first of all, a mentor is following somebody's content, following podcasts like this, learning everything, absorbing all of the information, implementing the information once you've got it. That's how it needs to start. And then once you're at a point where you can pay for training, then pay for that type of stuff and pay for training. But in the first instance, for somebody who's very young, definitely, you know, instead of sitting there watching Netflix or watching people play computer games on YouTube, sit there and actually watch videos like this and consume content from people that have created businesses that are trying to impart their wisdom and, you know, pass their knowledge on, because that's where the gold is. Like somebody said to me, and it's a great quote, success leaves, uh, success leaves clues. All you have to do is find them. And it's so true, isn't it? You just have to listen carefully to what people are saying and implement what they're saying. And you will follow. You don't have to replicate, re, you know, reinvent the wheel. You just have to replicate what they've done and, and do it in your own way with your own unique twist to it. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And it is so true. Like when you look at most of the successful people, you can, like you said, you start noticing, you start noticing similar patterns and similar strategies, similar processes. And you're like, okay, this is how, uh, on average, this is how most people must do it. Then you start getting involved in that. Then you say, okay, I understand how they're doing it but what are the specifics? How do I do this part of it? How do I do that? And then you slowly take step by step by step. And like you said, I guess it's just a case of prioritizing instead of sitting about, you know, if you're, if you're sitting about and then complaining that you're not getting anywhere, what, what, what can we do for you? You know what I mean? You, you need to make some steps and some, some sort of uh, progress to at least have that sort of. We all talk about, I call it the four M's, but we all talk about it in, I guess, personal development circles or conversations like this. We all talk about money, mindset, motivation, you know, marketing's the other one that I say are the four M's, but we all talk about that stuff. And we assume that the world knows that that exists, but yeah. many, many people don't. They don't even, you know, it's not even on their radar. I was, it was only even when I went through business failing and went into went through bankruptcy, even then did I not even know about someone like Tony Robbins or or influencers or personal development. And when I did start getting involved in that stuff and, and you know, I, I, I kept it was seen as being like this. This area of life that was, they call it the secret, don't they? There's a, there's a good documentary, but it was like this area of life that you was ashamed to tell people you was interested in that stuff because everyone was go, oh, what's that nonsense that you're listening to? But actually it was gold. The stuff that you was learning was just the way we should live our lives. But you know, so many people don't know that. Even people that go into business, they don't know that. They just, they just assume that they should take these steps, but, but without any substance behind it without any actual you know implementable information that they've learned from others so mm. i definitely you know follow what other people have done no i love that and i do want to touch on on that sort of process that you went through specifically i think you've got a great story which is one of the reasons i did definitely want you on is the the bankruptcy you mentioned that you mentioned how it come about but how did that affect you mentally obviously it affected you financially but how did it affect you mentally did that scare you off sort of what doing your own thing or yeah how, how did that sort of 
impact your your vision on the future at the time? Um, looking back now, I probably handled it in the wrong way. I've only just, by the way, within the last 12 months, actually really, probably 18 months, started talking about it openly yeah. because it's something that, especially maybe a bit less now, but 10 years ago when it happened, it was a something that you was judged by. You know, if you was if you started a business and you failed and you was made bankrupt, you was classed as a disaster. That was it. You was you was written off, cast aside. You know, America's different. In America, the whole system is designed to help people recover from that quickly, and you're not judged as much. But I felt a considerable amount of judgment, even from the people that were closest to me in business at the time. There was a great deal of judgment, so I was ashamed of it, and I put it in a box and parked it to one side and completely just tried to ignore it. The, the, when you're back, when my back was against the wall, the need and the desire, I'd had a child by that point, our first child, you know, I was the only one working. My wife wasn't working because she was staying at home looking after our daughter. So it just sort of kicked into survival mode. And I just was just went literally went through survival mode um, to, to try and get out of it. Uh, thankfully, I had a client at the time who was offered me to work for that basically the role that I was doing for my own company we built a building property maintenance had turned to construction and we were doing larger product projects predominantly for a couple of large high net worth individuals and when it happened one of them found out and said to me look why don't you come and work for us and run all of our projects because you're good at that that's what you like doing to so come and run our projects for us so in that key period of 18 months whilst I was recovering I'm very thankful and that guy is a you know a lifelong friend to this day that he gave me that olive branch to take and, and allowed me to get stuff back in order and try and get out of it but um, it was yeah it was something I was ashamed of and I've only really started talking about it in the last 18 months because I do believe now there's lessons for people to learn and part of my journey of becoming a speaker becoming somebody that can influence others becoming somebody who can you know help people in business I think it's essential that I talk about that we just don't talk about the good times we talk about all of the you know the bad stuff we go through because I don't believe business is glamorous in any way it's hard work uh, and, and it's full of ups and downs so that's why only now am I just really coming out and talking about it no that's it that's it and I think yeah you're so right it's so important to to show specifically young people as well like look you might make mistakes like you're actually en entering the real world and it's something I've only just started to uh, sort of comprehend like okay the, the, the world is real like if I do mess up there will be consequences they may not be drastic but they may be drastic and it may may like you said you may end up being bankrupt or you may end up in an even worse situation so it is so important for people like yourself to share share that message but there is a positive side to it because you then went on to build a eight figure eight figure business is that right yeah so off the off the back of that um i looked quite hard at myself what I, you know i i actually worked out what i didn't know was what i didn't know and um got some education, surrounded myself with some good people, uh, you know, got in and around a good network of people. And, and very quickly, yeah, we built a, uh, I, I ended up buying for a pound uh, an architect's practice. Uh, because I was in construction, I knew of an architect's practice. We'd done some work with them and they entered into some financial difficulty. So we knew what, I was aware of what was going on. And I was put in a position where I could buy that business for a pound. Uh, they had 14 staff at that time uh, and some debt. Uh, so we took on the debt, bought it for a pound and over a period of two and a half years, grew it into being Barclays fastest growing business in the UK, two years in a row. Um, we 
we went up to 120 employees, was turning over 26 million pound a year in, in fees, professional fees coming into us, operating out of four different offices around the world. So yeah, we, 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 you know, we grew, we grew quite quickly, but that, that was driven by the idea and the understanding that even the failure wasn't that bad. Yeah. So because I'd been through the failure, because I'd overcome the failure, it almost gave me, which is not great now, but it almost at the time gave me like a superhero complex yeah. where you just believed that you could get out of any situation regardless of what happened. And, and so we took risks. We grew very quickly. I probably wouldn't have achieved that or done that if it wasn't for that bankruptcy and that difficult situation because it did give me just a you know sheer underlying belief that anything was possible mm. that's such a that must be such a powerful feeling to have though because i've sort of had that only for like a moment of like a day or two but you just feel like invincible something's happened you've bounced back and you're like right let's have it like you almost want to go and do more just to test that boundary test that that superhero power that you said, said you had so that that is powerful um but then how how long did you sort of was you in that world of just almost, I guess, being at the top? Was it a matter of, of, of how many years was it? Um, so we were doing that for, I'd done that for four and a half years. Um, what, what happened in the end was I, I became a horrible person. Like I, you know, you see, the only way I can describe it is you see, we all know stereotypical businessmen that get divorced, that, you know, their personal life's in tatters, but they appear to have a great business on the outside. Usually it's because they put 100% of their effort into their business and forget about everything else. And they're just so determined that the business comes first. And I fell into that mindset. You know, on the outside of things, you would look at me and think, what a great life this guy's got. He was flying around the world, you know, first class to different offices. We were building some really, really big keynote projects, huge houses, big hotels, stuff that was, you know, work that anybody in the construction industry and in that sector would want to get. We had a black book of clients that consisted of royal monarchs to, you know, to billionaires and we were doing work for them and it was great. We was, we was doing some really, really good notable work. But I believed at the time that me going to work was my way of providing for my family. But actually what was happening in the background is Work was, I was going in one direction and the family were going in an opposite direction. My life was going to lovely hotels and, and having lunch in Michelin star restaurants every day. And my wife's, you know, daily routine was getting up, taking the kids to school and staying in our local village. So we was in two different, completely different worlds. And I couldn't correlate the two together. So I'd become, when I got home, I, you know, I wouldn't want to talk to my wife. I, I was frustrated every time she'd question me. I was stroppy. You know, I, I just, I'd go out at six in the morning, come back at 11, 12 o'clock at night, probably even later because I'd been out with a client and I was entertaining the client. Yeah. And it just, it, 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 what, one day, basically my wife sat me down and said, look, this isn't working. You know, this is, this is, you're an idiot. This isn't working. Something's got to change. And, and when I actually really looked at myself all of the stuff that we all speak about openly like burnout overwhelm all that stuff I was experiencing I just didn't know how to label it how to call it overwhelm how to call it burnout you know I was just working my nuts off as much as I could all of the time and and just was super busy 
was you know I had somebody driving me around all the time I had a, we had a chauffeur a car that would drive me around and I was doing back-to-back -back meetings to the airport flying off to another office project meetings coming back it was it was absolute carnage and disarray mm. I would just at the time I labeled myself as super busy but but all of the stuff that you know burnout overwhelm all of that stuff that we speak about and you hear spoken about now on social media, I was going through exactly that. And the business was the reason why. And um, I didn't have a purpose. You know, I built this business and the business sort of took over. My goal was growth. I was just going for, for you know, they say that turnover is uh, vanity and profit is sanity, but it's so true. I was just going in the construction industry specifically at that time, you were judged by the turnover, the size of your business. Whenever you came into contact with other business leaders or, you know, entrepreneurs, they would say, oh, what's your turnover? That'd be the first question you would ask. So I was driven by getting this huge turnover to say, oh yeah, we're doing 20 million a year turnover or 10 million a year turnover, because that's how you felt that you was being judged. Yeah. But actually none of the systems, the processes were put in place and all of that was just causing complete and utter chaos. And I, deep down, I didn't actually want to be there. I built this business and it was great. And financially, it was great. But one day, I, when my wife sat me down and said, look, this isn't working. And I took a cold look at myself. I came from a broken home. And I started business to ensure my kids had a better upbringing than I had. That was the underlying reason why I was trying to do what I was doing. And I didn't want our home to be broken. So I said, what, what has got to change here? And actually, when I started doing the whole personal development stuff and going on that journey, it was passion and purpose. That was it. What was my passion and my purpose? If money was no object and I could spend all day, every day doing one thing, what would it be? And I couldn't say that on the top 10 of that list was me going into my office and running my business anywhere. Could I, could I say that? That, that? I don't know how that's made me feel. That's made me feel... I don't know, almost quite scared because it's such a powerful story. But the, fir the first thing I'm thinking when you're saying it is like, do I and do pe young people that want to be successful in business, do they almost have to go through that? Or is there a way to avoid it? Because that, that, was, that was what triggered your retirement plans, isn't it? That's when you said, you know, I'm going to focus on uh, my passion, my purpose rather yeah, than- Yeah, listen- I say I'm retired, but I wouldn't say I am. I, I, I you know, I, I'm working probably as much as I did then, yeah. but I'm doing it on stuff that I love doing yeah. and, and stuff that I want to do. So therefore I feel fully in control of every day, all day. Yeah. Um, and it feels like being retired because I'm doing what I love. So, you know, I get to take the kids to school. I get like today before this interview, my wife said to me, We've, the kids have got Zoom schools for homeschooling. Can you stay at home and be at home for an hour? I can make those decisions and do that stuff now whereas before i would that would trigger an argument and i would go you know what i'm too important too busy to sit and do a zoom call for the kids you know that was how i that's how i would have responded uh, the old me so i definitely think that you know i wouldn't say retired people say to me especially with these innovation of clubhouse you know some of the rooms i sit in people say i want to start this business and the first question i would ask them is why do you want to start that business and I think it should always start with why. There's a cliche of understanding your why, but when you truly, truly, truly understand your why, it's almost like a superpower within you. There was a good exercise I'd done around the time when I realized that I had to get out of that business and, and do what I wanted to do. And it was called Seven Levels Deep. And it was by a guy called Dean Graziosi, who's like a US-based uh, influencer. 
And basically it was asking yourself the question, why do you want to do something? But then if the answer was, I want to do it, take my example. If it, if it was, you know, why do you want to be in business? Well, I want to be in business because I want to give my kids a better future. So you'd ask yourself the same question about the answer. Well, why do you want to give your kids a better future? And then whatever the answer is of that question, you ask the why on that question. And it usually takes a few goes at doing this and at least seven answers to really get to your why. But I remember getting to mine and it reduced me to tears because it, it was a really deep reason for wanting to do it. And, and by doing that exercise, I discovered my whole reason why I was so driven to do to do anything in life. The reason I got off the council estate, the reason I, you know, joined the fire brigade, the reason I started the business, the reason I was doing the DJing, it was all because of one reason. And it took me at least seven, you know, attempts at asking that question to get to the core reason why. And I think if people done that sooner in life, they would waste that, you know, they would stop wasting a lot of time and they would probably get to their, you know, their passion, their purpose. If you can mix your passion, your purpose and your profession and you can have it all together, it never feels like work. Never once does it feel like work. No. So, so is that, that's the way then to avoid what you went through, that sort of, that, that complete sort of skyrocketing in, in the wrong direction. That, that's, perhaps a, that's perhaps the way to sort of avoid that then, isn't it? Fi at the earliest stage possible, try and find your passion, try and find your why. And then you can say, actually, you know what? Money isn't really the thing. It's, it's more family or it's more providing to help people. And then you could sort of go in a, in a, a much better direction. Is that, that's, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Find your purpose first, yeah. Find your purpose on, the, on life first. And it's not that easy to do, but find your purpose, find your why first. And then follow that line, follow that path. You know, many people start a business, but all they do is create a job for themselves. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it for 10 years. I'd create a business. I'd scale it. I'd create a job for myself and I'd pigeonhole myself into a job. Yeah. You know? yeah. and, but that's not business. You shouldn't be, you know, you, there's a difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. A mm. business owner is somebody that goes in every day opens up their shop, opens up their business, turns the computers on, spends 12 hours a day sitting in front of the computers or sit in front of their shop and ends up being resented and bitter by the time they come to the end of their business life or the end of their point where they want to retire. And actually, most of them probably can't retire because they're so ingrained in their business that they can't stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. yeah? And then there's somebody that realizes that they want their purpose, they want their passion, they want to follow that course. And then they systemize the stuff that's going on behind them to allow them the freedom to do what they want to do. And I think that's the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. And I think as soon as people adjust their path and get on the right course, they can wait, stop, you know, stop wasting that time. And like me, it took me 10 years to work that out, yeah. you know, and, and people would look at it now and go, oh, it must be an overnight success. No, it, it took me 10 years. And there's that saying, isn't it? Nothing's ever an overnight success. It takes 10 years. But it's because you don't work that stuff out sooner. With all of the information that's available now, you can shortcut that journey. You just got to listen to all the stuff like your podcast, other people's podcasts, all of the information out there, listen to it and follow it and implement it. And, and you'll hopefully you, people can shortcut that. So is it okay then to chase money in your opinions for, for those that have done that purpose thing and they might be struggling a bit and saying, well, you know, or, or do you think that that doing that uh, purpose, that um, that process of trying to find your purpose, do you think that may never actually lead to money overall? If you keep doing it the right way, do you think that will ever lead to, oh, my passion is, is money? Or, or do you think if they do that, it will never be money? So they, they, they need to do that first? Or do you think money is 
can I, be I would say it depends on someone's circumstances. Yeah, I would say that you listen. If your back's against the wall and you need money, then you need to chase the money. You need exactly. to do. You need to follow a. You know, you need to do something to get you the money. It's all well and good saying that yeah, I should follow my purpose, but if your purpose isn't paying you anything, then it's not viable, is it? So you need to mix. You need to mix your purpose and your prof profession with a viable business model that keeps it all in balance and works for you. First of all, but. Yeah, initially, people might have to follow the money. I followed the money. It's that, that was my sole reason for being in business, was following the money. Eventually, though, you wake up and realise, I'm not that happy. Uh, you know, something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong? Because you can have all the money in the world. You know, and I didn't by any stretch of the imagination. But what I did know is I didn't feel happy. No matter how much money I earned, no matter what holiday we went on, how nice that holiday was, you know, what house we bought, what car we drove. I was always wanting something else. And what that actual want was, was I wanted my purpose in life. I wanted to try and follow, you know, my, my find a mission for myself to follow. So the earlier you can mix that, the better. But yeah, look, if you have to follow the money to start with, that's, you know, you have to do that because some people, you need money to survive, right? But it, it, yeah. if, it, you know, that's, it's not going to be sustainable in business doing the money. And you see this, that's why, you know, let's be honest, there's two reasons why most businesses fail within the first few years of being operational. The first one is probably because lack of education, lack of business understanding. But the second one is because people run out of the energy, the desire to do what they're doing and they go for something else. They look for something else. You know, people call it the shiny penny syndrome, but always trying to look for that next opportunity. I've done that for years. The moment I realized this is actually what I want to do and I understood the reason why I wanted to do it. I stopped looking. I don't even pay attention to any, any opportunities that come up now. Yeah, you know, yeah. But if, if this was me four years ago, I would have been invested in Bitcoin. I would have been started an e-commerce business. I would have been doing everything that you can do and finding information out online and spreading myself super thin because just you, you would have felt the need to do that. Yeah. Now, I, I pay no attention to that because I've got a mission. I know where I'm going. I know what my goal is. And I just follow my own course judge myself against myself every day and follow my own course. That's brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for that. And that's really resonated with me as well. And I'm sure it resonates to everyone listening. So what, what are you up to now then? Um, obviously you seem to, I feel like I get the impression that if I would have spoke to you a few years ago, you would have been a completely different person in terms of your vision and your mindset and stuff like that. So what are you up to now? It, it seems like you're giving a lot of value as well with your, with your podcast, which is great. Yeah. So the podcast started, um, Firstly, I'd been in, been in business for many years, but I had no social media presence at all because I didn't need it. It wasn't something that my generation, we really, I wouldn't say I'm the generation of social media, like I'm nearly 40, right? So I, I, it wasn't something that we grew up as kids with, you know, I probably didn't get a mobile phone until 14, 15, you know, whereas like my, my eight-year-old has a mobile phone now. So it wasn't something that was ingrained into me. And because of that, all of my business was B2B, business to business. So we were finding clients. I was networking with clients and, and I was basically doing all the stuff you should now do on social media, but I was doing it in live environments and finding clients. So I didn't need social media. So when I decided, right, okay, I'm here on this planet to serve. I have a lot of knowledge from my failures, from my experiences over 15 years. And, and I want to, nobody helped me when I started my first business. Nobody gave me the support, the understanding, you know, everybody judged me when I fouled. There was nobody there to really go, come on, this is how you should do it. 
And I just said to myself, if I can be that one person that's there for as many people as possible, but even if it's just one person over you know, the next 10 years and help them on their journey, get them to quit their job, start their business, do it the right way, take their idea from an idea to something that's a vehicle that they can produce an income from and, and get them to change their life. If I can direct somebody on that course, that would make me a very happy person. So that was that was my mission. It's, you know, it's to help as many people as I can start and scale a business the right way by avoiding the mistakes I made. And so the first step of getting that story out there was me starting a podcast. And it was just, you know, it's we're up to episode 52, 53, something like that. And, and up until now, I've had no guests. It's been me just talking my wisdom to, to a microphone and, and nobody in the room. Um, and I hope that people are finding it valuable and listening to it and taking lessons from it. We're getting a bit more organized now and a bit more structure. We're starting to build a bit of a personal brand. I'm doing stuff like Clubhouse. And, and now we're starting to, we've got, I've got a team of people with me that are doing other social media platforms as well. And we're trying to do the stuff that we should do, build a personal brand. And I'm just on a mission now to help as many people as I can avoid those mistakes. I have some other business interests that I've that I'm still involved with from a few years ago, mm -hmm. which is fortunate enough to be able to allow me to spend time creating content, right. you know, doing stuff like this. And, and because I'm, you know, financially, I'm being looked after by my other businesses that I have. We have a co-working and serviced office space. So where we, we have about 100,000 square foot of commercial office space where right. we, that we sublet to other tenants. So, you know, financially that looks after me on a day-to-day -day basis and allows me to, to, to just focus my time on producing the content. We, the plan is also to put some educational, put an educational platform together whereby people can get access to the right information at a relatively low cost. I think the problem is with business education. So you've got standard formal education, which is no good. And then you've got business education, which I personally believe is still relatively expensive. You know, you can't get a course on anything now for probably less than £2,000. Anyway, anything that's worth its money anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't get a paid mentor or a coach for less than £6,000, £7,000, £10,000, depending on what you're doing. And so I want to make that, my mission is to make those services available to the people that need them for as relatively low barrier to entry as possible. So we can actually try to get the right education to the right people that want it, you know, in a mechanism that works for them. So that's what I'm working on in the background. We have an app that we're developing that we can try and push, push stuff out. And yeah, uh, you know, an education platform, a system, you know, if you're producing an online course and it's 2000 pound, why can't you sell that to somebody for 50 quid? That's a, that's a low barrier to entry that gives them the actual information that they want. You know, the reason that people don't make it available for 50 quid is because there's financial reasons behind why they're selling it for 2000 pound. And there's a, you know, there's, business reasons and why people I believe go into the education space they do it first to help people but then it's like everything isn't it the money and the greed takes over and you know they they have to have a funnel and they have to move people from a an education course into a mastermind and into this and into paid coaching and it's about the financial goals as they go through their business journey whereas I just want to make it available to as many people as I can and, and help and inspire as many people as I can with the lessons that I've learned over the, the 15 years. Brilliant, mate. That's amazing. I think the world definitely needs more people like you, whether you realise it or not, um, especially as like 
a young person starting their journey, I'll definitely be looking up to people like yourself. Um, yeah, pretty. I was going to say pretty much, but definitely changing the game for everyone that's up and coming and as well as those sort of already in the middle of their journey. So I'd like to say thank you for that and thank you for coming on. My last hard-hitting question, um, you've pretty much touched on it. So, um, yeah, I'll ask you anyway, just so you can sort of wrap it up in a nutshell, but what do you want your legacy to be? You've definitely touched on it, but... Um... My legacy, firstly, is to be a great dad and a great husband, you know, and I know that's small thinking, but that is what is important to me now. It wasn't for so many years, you know, it wasn't my family, my kids, they came third on the list. I identified myself first as the business owner, entrepreneur, yeah. then it would be probably second, second was the dad and third was the husband. So now I, everything I do in life is, is I'm, I'm a dad first, I'm a husband second, and then it's business third. It's always family first. So my legacy is to create some wonderful kids and, and, and be able to let them have the drive and determination that I've got in life. And then from a business point of view, it's just trying to touch as many people as possible. You know, if I can leave a foundation, a system, a legacy that's there to educate others, to inspire others, look, nobody's ever going to change the education system. I can actually start there and say with an audacious goal, you know, look, I want to change the way business education works in schools. Well, it takes 20 years to change the school education system. You know, it's so far behind. There's so many bureaucrats and red tape in the way. Nobody ever, bigger people than me, have attempted to try and change the education system and failed. So I'm not even going to make that a goal. But I do want to make enough of an impact in this world to, to help others. I believe everybody's got a business in them. They just need to find that why, that purpose, their passion, come up with a way of monetizing it, put the systems in place and allow it to scale. And if I can help as many people do that as possible, I'll, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go to the grave a happy man. And if that's only one person, so be it. At least I've helped one person. Because like I say, nobody ever helped me in, this, in, in, in my business journey in my early days. So I just want to find that one person and help them. Brilliant. That's powerful stuff, mate. The floor is now yours for, for perhaps that one person that, that will sort of take you up on that offer. Where can, where can people find out more about yourself? Um, so, yeah, get involved. So at the moment, I'm guessing like if you want to find anyone like me, it's go on Clubhouse um, because we, we, we'll always, we, you know, for the foreseeable future, we'll be spending as much time as we can on Clubhouse. Yeah. I'm at Paul Abercrombie on all the social media platforms. So you can find me. It's either at PA underscore Abercrombie or at Paul Abercrombie. I think it's PA underscore Abercrombie on Twitter, but I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, my podcast is the Bulletproof Business Podcast and all of my educational stuff is going to be coming out under Bulletproof Business and yeah, feel free to, to reach out and, and um, make contact if you can. Brilliant. I will. I, I always promised to last season to put all the acts and stuff in the description box. But for season two, 100%, I will be doing that. So all the information will be in the description box below. Paul, mate, it's been a pleasure. Um, I admire your work. So thank you so much for connecting with me and coming on today. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. If only they knew the hub for young business minds.